When a friend or a loved one chooses suicide, we can't help but ask, why did this happen? Albert Chi experienced that when his father took his own life. The search for answers to the why questions is really a search for comfort. Uh, we're, we're wondering, are we alone in the universe now? We feel abandoned by our loved one, our, our child, our parent, our spouse that has left in this way. And it feels this like this tremendous rejection um, because they chose to leave. They didn't just get hit by a truck. They, they weren't taken by cancer. They, they chose to abandon us or leave us in this way. And so it feels like this tremendous rejection. This is Family Life Today. Our host is Dennis Rainey, and I'm Bob Lapine. So what do we do with those questions that continue to plague us when a friend or a loved one takes his own life? We're going to explore that today with Albert Chi. Stay with us. And welcome to Family Life Today. Thanks for joining us. As you were just praying about today's program, you you talked about this as a delicate subject. That's what it is, isn't it? It really is, and I don't think we realize how prevalent this is in both the community of faith, but also in the culture. And I think Christians really need to grapple with this and, and have an answer to know how to best connect with both people of faith who've been impacted by suicide are by those who are outside yeah. the faith. I want to read this quote, Bob. Dr. Jean Twinge of San Diego State University suggested that screen and social media time may have caused a jump in depression and suicide among American young people. Mm. I think the reality is screens have caused us to be even lonelier yeah. than we were before they came. And, and loneliness and disconnectedness from other people is one of those factors that may go into somebody deciding that it's not worth continuing to live. That's right. And isolation is not a good state to be in. I mean, you need relationships. Yeah. You need to be connected to people. Well, we have a guest with us today on the broadcast. Uh, Al Shi joins us all the way from Chicago. Al, welcome to, the, to Family Life Today. Thanks for having me. Al is uh, married to Ellen since 1997, has two sons, lives in Chicago, and uh, is the senior editor of uh, InterVarsity Press. And uh, so Bob and I are grateful for your work with uh, IVP because of your editing skills. Any author needs an editor, <laughs> no doubt about it. He has, he has written a book. And i got to ask you, what's it like to write your own book and have somebody else edit it? Or did you let anybody edit it? Oh, yeah, yeah. Every editor needs an editor as well. <laughs> okay, glad you confessed that here on the radio. Probably some of your colleagues are, are listening in and will remind you about that. But Al has written a book called Grieving a Suicide. A Loved One's Search for Comfort, Answers, and Hope. Your life changed because of a phone call. That's right. When I was about in my mid-20s, I uh, got a phone call one Thursday morning. My wife and I had just gotten married uh, nine months prior. We were young newlyweds. Uh, we were living in Chicago. My parents were in Minnesota. And we were about to visit them the following weekend. Uh, we were going to be visiting friends in Minnesota for a wedding, and we were going to stop in and see my folks. But then Thursday morning before work, the phone rang, and I couldn't guess why would somebody be calling that early in the morning. So I got the phone, 
and I heard wailing on the other side. I, I didn't know what this was. It was somebody crying, wailing, and she said, Daddy killed himself. Daddy killed himself. And it was my mother, and I and I, I just didn't register. I didn't understand what she was saying. Daddy? Daddy who? My dad? And so uh, I, to back up, my dad was 58 years old. He was an electrical engineer, PhD, brilliant man, and always very self-sufficient, uh, self-made kind of a guy. But three months prior to this, he had had a stroke. And while he survived the stroke, uh, and he was doing some rehab and uh, and uh, making some recovery, he he fell into a clinical depression. And over the those three months since the stroke, he uh, didn't see any purpose for life. He lost all sense of hope. And my mom had gotten him to the hospital for observation, but even so, one night he went into his room, asked not to be disturbed, and took his own life. Were you were you in shock at that point? Yes, all the textbook definitions of shock. Uh, I went numb. I couldn't process things. Uh, when people hear this kind of news, uh, it's what counselors call complicated grief or complicated bereavement because we're actually dealing with two different things at once. We're both experiencing the grief of the loss, but we're also experiencing trauma. And a loss by suicide is traumatic and causes trauma almost on the extent of a war experience. You know, think of soldiers with PTSD. It's that kind of violent experience that just completely shakes your world. I was thinking as you were telling your story, I received a phone call hmm. uh, in 1976, the year we started Family Life. And it was not my mother on the phone. It was my brother. And he called me and almost as bluntly as you described it, said, Dad's dead. Hmm. And he'd just been at our home. We'd had a great time together working around the house. And I was growing up as a young man. I was 28 years old. And, and I was appreciating him more than more and more. And it was interesting, uh, Al, because I thought, how much different it would be, the grief that I felt, if my dad had committed suicide, which he didn't. But I, I can imagine it really does complicate the emotional picture for a son like that. That's right. Complicated grief, you're dealing with two realities at once. It's both the normal grief of the loss that we would be feeling no matter how our loved one died, but then there's also the, the additional shock and trauma. And so one is bad enough as it is, but combined, it's like a one-two punch. And, and it had to be disorienting. I mean, you're, you're wanting answers to what you may never get answers for in that moment, right? Right, right. There is... Uh, kind of a questioning that goes on. First of all, survivors are always saying, when did I see this coming? I should have done something to prevent this. I should have seen the signs. And then we're also asking, how, how could this happen? What, uh, we're asking survivors' guilt questions. We feel like we're responsible. My, my mom was a nurse, um, and she was acting as my dad's caregiver during the months after his stroke. And so she did caregiver-type things. She did the right things, watching out for him. She saw him slipping into depression. She got weapons out of the house. And even though she did all the right things, she wasn't able to prevent the suicide. And so she felt tremendous survivor's guilt. Had you ever had any conversations with your dad about his depression and how deep it was and how dark uh, that valley was for him? Not not prior to his death, no. I had not realized the extent of his 
actual depression. I knew he had been feeling low. Um, we had had some phone calls and conversations in those months, um, but no, I had not realized. You uh, decided to go go back home then. Right. And on your way, you stopped by your office, but you didn't want to go inside. I couldn't face people. Um, suicide is the kind of thing that divides your life into a before and after. And prior to it, life is normal and fine, and, you, and everything, you just go through life. After a suicide, you, you question everything, and you don't understand, how can people go through this life? How can we make sense of a world that is so broken, so painful, that somebody would want to end their own life? And, and I, I think part of what we're struggling with in these moments is we've all had days or periods where we've thought— Life isn't going the way I want it to go, and, and I'm, I'm not happy with what's going on in my life right now. But we've never gotten ourselves to a point, or at least if, if we have, it's been maybe momentary, where we've thought, I'd just like to, to end it all. You, you'd had a moment in your life even prior to this where you'd thought about suicide? I had some teenage times of depression. Um, and so depression and feeling down are very common. And we should, we should validate that and, and say, you know, many, many people experience depression. Right. I was almost comforted to realize how common suicide is. Once after my dad's death, I realized, I learned that at the time there were something like 30,000 suicides in the U.S. every year. Now it's over 40,000. And that number is probably un underreported because there are a lot of suicides that are disguised as accidents. Mm. And each one of those suicides leaves behind six to ten immediate survivors, parents, children, loved ones, spouses, that are immediately affected by that suicide. That, that's hundreds of thousands of people every year that are going through this kind of grief. So it was an odd kind of comfort to know I was not alone hmm. in this particular kind of loss. There were others that had experienced this kind of loss as well. Well, and you wonder how much suicide ideation there is that never ends in suicide. I mean, how many people contemplate or consider suicide? I, I remember as a teenager, I was listening to a Blood, Sweat, and Tears record. This is how old I am. Okay, so Blood, Sweat, and Tears had this song that Laura Nero had written. And the song said, and when I die and when I'm dead and gone, there'll be one child born in this world to carry on. And I, I would just remember as a teenager thinking, I wonder if that's true. I wonder if there's a one-to-one -one correlation that when somebody dies, there's a child born to, to carry on. And I just, in those moments, I thought, I wonder what it'd be like to die. It wasn't a depressed ideation. It was just kind of a curiosity ideation. I, I just wonder what percentage of people have those momentary things where they go, I just would like to end it all today. They never act on it, but it's there in, in their thoughts. Well, there are hundreds of thousands of suicide attempts every year. Um, so wow. so it is fairly common. Hmm. You're talking about 100, 100 people a day that are successful, though. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that is a big number. And again, there are people of faith that end up doing this. Tell us about your father's spiritual journey. Well, Did he have a relationship with God, with Christ? Well, I should back up and say that it is true that suicide and depression affect Christians just as much as the general population. And so there is very little difference. Christians get depressed just as much as everybody else, just like Christians get cancer and diabetes like everybody else. And so, yes, um, we are not immune. And one of the problems, I think, in particularly in the church, is that we are in a bit of a state of 
denial or at least Christians often try to over-spiritualize and, and, and mm-hmm. you know, we, we want to say, well, if you're having trouble, you know, just need to pray more, believe more, hope more. We don't always acknowledge that there may be biomedical challenges going on in the brain, that there are sometimes biological reasons that people get depressed. And so I think the church is a little bit more aware in the, in the past few years uh, that we've had a little more awareness of mental health and the realities of mental health issues. Do you think your dad had had any suicide thoughts prior to the stroke? I, d- I wasn't aware of anything, uh, but I was interested to find out that there is some history of depression and mental illness in my family. And going back uh, to my, my dad's mother in Taiwan actually had been institutionalized for mental illness Mm. and died when my dad was young. And then there were other family members that had also struggled with depression. And so to learn a little bit of that family history was illuminating. And And we've jumped right into this discussion about depression. Is that the reason that most people commit suicide? Well, it's a common factor. Uh, it's, It's very difficult to isolate any one particular factor. There's almost always multiple factors, and there may be multiple triggers or causes, but some estimate that about 60%, you know, two-thirds of suicides are influenced by uh, depression or mental illness of of some kind. There are often psychological factors. uh, There are sociological factors like isolation, like Dennis was talking about earlier, but there's any number of different factors. Hmm. uh, I've attended a, a number of funerals in my lifetime, among the most memorable were those where it was a young person who committed suicide, whether it be uh, a young person in his teens or her teens, 20s, 30s, very, very sober, very troubling to, to attend. And it just raises uh, all, kinds of, all kinds of questions uh, among those who, who are who are attending. And I think for a pastor, it has to be one of the more challenging uh, services to ever lead in your lifetime. And it's back to what you were talking about earlier. I don't think the Christian community knows how to handle this. And so I, I think it's a lot like when somebody dies, period, people don't know what to say, how mm-hmm. to comfort another person mm-hmm. who's lost their husband, lost a child. But when it becomes this double uh, hurt of suicide, they really don't know how to comfort, right? Because suicide is really a threat to a, on a lot of levels to a person. And pastors often wonder, what do I say at the funeral of a suicide? And one image that has been helpful for some pastors is the image of a soldier who falls in battle in fighting their own civil war. That people who die by suicide are often caught between the desire to live and the desire to die. And when the desire to die outweighs the desire to live in that moment, in that season, that's when a suicide might happen. And so we can grieve our loved ones as they fell on their own battlefield. They fell as victims of their own civil war. And that, that is an image that has been helpful to, to some pastors at funerals. There, there's a, a quote from um, a book by Willa Cather, Maya Antonia, uh, that there's a prayer during a funeral, and the prayer that is prayed is, O oh, great and just God, no man among us knows what the sleeper knows, nor is it for us to judge what lies between him and thee. And in some ways, that's 
often where we we need to leave things in the hands of God. Well, that's hard to do, isn't it? To to leave things there when the the perplexing question of why of what could I have done? How all of that continues to to plague you for months on end after a funeral is over, doesn't it? Oh yeah, yeah. The the why questions um, happen at two different levels, I think. At one level, there is sort of the what were the causes? What were the factors? What triggered this? Did I do something? Did I miss something? And we can investigate. The, the different psychological and sociological reasons for that. But at a deeper level, the search for answers to the why questions is really a search for comfort. Uh, mm-hmm. we're, we're wondering, am I alone in this? Am I abandoned in this? Mm-hmm. Uh, does God still care? Does God still exist? Uh, how could this have happened? And so we are wondering, are we alone in the universe now? We feel abandoned by our loved one, mm-hmm. our, our child, our parent or spouse that has left in this way. And it feels this like this tremendous rejection because they chose to leave. Yeah. They didn't just get hit by a truck. They weren't taken by cancer. They, they chose to abandon us or leave us in this way. And so it feels like this tremendous rejection. I've heard some people describe it as worse than divorce. Hmm. Divorce is a rejection, but a suicide is a rejection that Leaves no opportunity to have any. Yeah, yeah, leaves no opportunity to have any dialogue, any discourse on a human level. Did you feel that? I did feel the the sense of if my dad had really loved me, he wouldn't have done this. How could he have left me in this way? How could he he have abandoned me? And so, yes, suicide survivors do feel this this mix of guilt, uh, shame, rejection pain, abandonment, it's all swirling together in this mix. And something that suicide survivors need to be very aware of is that we have a heightened risk of suicide for ourselves. Some loved ones Mm. will want to reenact the loved one's final steps. They're trying to understand how could they have done this. And so a mom might, you know, stand in, in front of the mirror holding the gun and wonder what did my son do? What did, how, how did it feel? Or they might stand on a balcony ledge and look and imagine their child jumping. Mm-hmm. And and some uh, suicide survivors do fall into self-destructive habits of alcohol or drug use to try to numb the pain. And so if anybody is grieving and and struggling with those things, I, I encourage them, please get help. Please find people around to surround you, to keep an eye on you, and to n- not let yourself fall into those kinds of destructive patterns. So if a friend of yours called you today and said, it just happened in our family, my wife or my dad or my son just took their own life, and, and you had two minutes to talk to him. And, and just say, okay, here's the most important thing I can tell you in this moment. What would you say? As I interviewed other suicide survivors, the two things that they wanted to say to others, the, the first and most important one is, it was not your fault. You did not do this. You did not cause this. Um, they chose this for whatever reason. And we may never know ultimately why that happened, but, but the survivor's guilt is so strong uh, in cases like this. And people just need to hear and to know you did not do this to them. It's not your fault. And the other thing to know is that you are not alone. Uh, there are others who have walked this path. There are others who grieve with you. And to encourage people to surround themselves with community, friends, church, uh, others that can walk through this with them. Hmm. And I think that's an important thing to underline here. I've been reading over the past uh, 
I guess, six months or so, been doing a lot of reading in the Psalms. And I am amazed at how many times God says, I am your help. I am your refuge. I am here. I am with you. God gives us the promise of his presence. And I think we as human beings forget how powerful our presence as fellow strugglers in the journey, how important our presence can be to a person who's just experienced the loss of a loved one because of suicide. And so if you're wondering what to do, the best gift that you could possibly, I think, begin to give that other person, I want you to comment on this, Al, seems to me to be, you know, I just like to come and be with you. Yes, presence is important, and to not to presume to have the answers. And I, I love the book of Psalms because the Psalms give us a model in what are called the Psalms of Lament. A significant portion of the Psalms, a third or more of the Psalms, are Psalms where the psalmist cries out their pain to God, and they're raw, and they're vulnerable, and they're, they tell it like it is. They're not sugarcoating things. That's they're, right. They're not hiding things in religious language. And the beauty of the Psalms of Lament is that it gives a structure to our grief. Grief, by its very nature, is this formless, nebulous kind of thing. We sort of go in cycles and go over things over and over mm-hmm. again, and we feel lost in a fog. But the psalmist's In the Psalms of Lament, it was a way of ordering Mm -hmm. Israel's grief, that we bring our pain to God and we cry out, Lord, the world is not the way it's supposed to be. And this loss, this pain, this grief, it is not the way you intended the world to be. And we grieve that. We lament that. We wish it were not so. Um, And in doing so, it gets out Mm -hmm. all the pain that we're feeling. And it's a modern-day way of saying it would be it's, it's how they process things. It's a way of processing. And so what it gets out on the outside, what's going on inside. And I love how Scripture gives us the permission to grieve. Sometimes Christians think that, oh, I should just have a stiff upper lip. I shouldn't be grieving. But Jesus tells us that we should grieve. Blessed are those who mourn because they will be comforted. And Jesus weeps at the tomb of Lazarus. And cries out from the cross. Mm-hmm. Psalm 22, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then the beauty of the Psalms of Lament is that halfway through the Psalms, there's a pivot and we say, but yet I will remember you, but yet I still have my hope in you. I still Mm -hmm. place my trust in you. And then there's this recounting of you've been faithful to us in the past. And so based on who God is and what he has done in the past, we can entrust even this great pain, even this awful world where people die by their own hand. We can entrust that to God. We can trust that God hears our cry and will respond. Death is, um, is interesting. It's, it's a great apologetic for the existence of God because only God could produce hope in such a dark place. But read the Psalms. You'll find the God who is our refuge, our fortress, our foundation, our hope. His word is sure. His promises are certain. Yeah. You may not experience it at the moment of the grief, but you will experience his presence. You were talking about the the power and the significance of presence and being there for someone else. And I'm thinking for a listener who knows someone who has Mm -hmm. experienced a suicide. This would be a great book. But to offer the book, not just here's a book for you, but to say, here's a book and I'm here for you. And um, I'd love to read through this with you. I'd love to help 
enter into this with you. Of course, we've got copies of the book Grieving a Suicide on our website at familylifetoday.com, and you can order it from us when you go online. We also have an extended conversation with our guest, with Al Shi. You can download the file as we talked about some of the pitfalls of remembering the events of the suicide, remembering the family. We talk about how you explain suicide to a child. Again, that's some bonus content that's online as we are going to continue this conversation with Al Shi. Go to familylifetoday.com to order the book Grieving a Suicide or to download the bonus audio. Again, the website is familylifetoday.com. You can also order the book by calling 1-800-FL-TODAY. It's 1-800-F as in family, L as in life, and then the word today. You know, we've been talking about tough subjects this week, talking about opioid addiction, talking about suicide. One of the things we try to do here at Family Life is dive into some of the subjects that can rock a marriage or a family and to bring practical biblical help and hope in the midst of that situation. Every day, this program is reaching hundreds of thousands of people all around the world who are listening online, listening on their local radio station, using our app. Uh, many have started listening by asking Alexa to play Family Life Today for them. That's a skill that you can add in your Alexa app. And I just want to say thank you to those of you who make the reach of this program possible, those of you who are making Family Life Today possible for your friends and neighbors and for people you may never meet this side of eternity. If you're a legacy partner or an occasional contributor to the Ministry of Family Life Today, that's what your contributions are doing. You're helping us effectively develop godly marriages and families that change the world, one home at a time. If you've never made a donation, we'd love to have you join the Family Life Today team. If you're not yet a legacy partner, we'd love to have you join with that group of regular contributors to this ministry. You can do either when you go to familylifetoday.com, make a one-time donation, or become a monthly legacy partner. Donate online at familylifetoday.com or call 1-800-FL-TODAY to donate. We have our 2019 Family Life calendar that is just now available. We're starting to send it out to folks. This is a calendar that helps promote togetherness in your family throughout the year, and the calendar is our gift to you when you support the ministry with a donation this month. So be sure to ask for the togetherness calendar when you make your donation, and we appreciate your partnership with us. And we hope you'll join us back again tomorrow as we continue to talk about how you can help those who are grieving a suicide or how you can find comfort for your own soul if someone you know has taken his or her own life. Al Shi will be back with us tomorrow. I hope you can be back as well. I want to thank our engineer today, Keith Lynch, along with our entire broadcast production team. On behalf of our host, Dennis Rainey, I'm Bob Lapine. We will see you back next time for another edition of Family Life Today. Family Life Today is a production of Family Life of Little Rock, Arkansas, a crew ministry. Help for today. Hope for tomorrow.